0: this is a test of the boundary Park alert system right Andy welcome to the uh, welcome to the boundary Park alert system Andy I'm back as a host yeah. <laughs> Can I just before we start, can I uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll just crack that can open, please? You, you're on cans at the minute, you, you're not popping any corks, that's too premature. Yeah,
1: we'll hold back with the corks, yeah, we'll hold back with them. But I have got some some champagne that I'll get out when uh, when this is complete. But yeah, when I'm, so, I'm on the cans, I'm on a cans tonight, I think. Yeah, I yeah, see.
0: It's a school night, is it? Take it easy. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's uh, Thursday the 30th of June, 2022. There's been an announcement, and <laughs> I don't know how many podcasts you and I have done um, together, but I think we were, excluding bonuses, we were up to, what, 85 a summer? Yeah,
1: not 84, I think.
0: Yeah, 84, 85 podcasts, others with the bonuses. The message... Has been. We need new owners. We need new owners. We need new owners. Pretty consistently throughout that whole time, and today, of all days, we've we've had an announcement. What do, what, what what, what, do, what was? Uh, for, I mean, I had a little bit of Edouard Swan in, and I, you know, I was in the meeting. Uh, we we'll talk about it in a minute, but what was your what was your reaction when you saw the statement come out online, Andy?
1: Well, I was uh, obviously I was t- I was. T- um, it was a bit of a shock because I wasn't expecting anything to come out at that time. I obviously knew where you were. and knew, knew you'd gone to a meeting. So I was sort of waiting really to find out what you guys were going to find out. And then I saw it hit, which was incredibly exciting because I, I, non, none of us knew, knew the detail of that. So for us to see the fine detail of this includes the club and the land all in one deal, then... I don't know. For for a moment, it just took my breath away because this is exactly what we've been asking for or wanting for all this time, and we we may be able to see that happen, which could be the catalyst for us to turn around our fortunes and our what's happened to us over, over the last twenty years, particularly. So yeah, it was pretty pretty amazing. But I mean, more more importantly,
0: why don't you tell us about your day? <laughs> so. Well, like, I, I've been, I've had COVID, I've been rough, really rough. And, and today's the first time that I really what, sort of like have been out to anything like this. I'm, I'm testing negative now, but it's really kind of like I mean, I'm still kind of blocked up and, you know, I've been feeling pretty crappy. Um, and you know what it's like with, with, uh, with our groups. We've had the match on Saturday, the Legends match, which I had to miss because I, I was sick. But it never stops, does it? It literally never stops. The, the messages and all that, as, as listeners know. But I had a bit of a heads up um, the night before that something was happening. Um, and then there was supposed to be a meeting the night before, and then it got moved to today. So just went along kind of expecting something uh, of this nature. Um, walked into a room. Uh, I was the last one there fashionably late but still early but i was the last one there I walked in first i opened the door who's like john sheridan sat right there so that was like oh wasn't expecting him to be sat there yeah. uh next to him's um the very smart very large darren royal in his suit and his tie and that uh and then there was paul whitehead and simon brook sat next to him and then around the table were the ptb lads and myself and mike keegan and then so I'm like, oh, all right, everyone, like I know everybody in the room, and they're like, sit down. And um then Darren, <laughs> Darren started and said, look, like, you know, the story. I mean, we knew that everybody around that table had been involved in looking for people and that everyone was wanted Abdallah and, and Mohammed to leave the club, um, but wanted to bring the right people in. We knew obviously we know what's been going on with the with the Northstand, with the FLG, and all that kind of stuff. You know, we've been trying sort of like to to, to push ahead with stuff. Um, we've had a, I've had a few conversations with Darren Rawl over the last few months. Very, I mean, in terms of poker, you know, he keeps his cards very very close to his chest. Uh, didn't give anything away. I think more to do with the fact with you know these things are very very sensitive and, and and whatever, and you've got to deal with the wishes of of the interested parties. So he kind of sat down and explained everything. Um, and it was quite amusing, like, after Darren had kind of, like, like I said, very kind of professionally sort of said what the story was, there was a bit of a silence. And I just kind of looked around the table and said, uh, I think I can speak for on behalf of PTB and OASF when I say thank fuck for that. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, he told us that there's new people ready to come in and, you know, we're moving on, we're moving forward. Um because from a personal point of view and the thought of going into next season, now there's caveats to this because it all needs to, you know, it all needs to make sure it comes out but and, and follows through and everything. But the thought of going into next season, not going to Boundary Park, fighting all the time still, you know, with, with owners who, who don't who say they want to go, but don't want to go. Because that was the impression that we've all been under. And, you know, maybe, Turns out maybe wrongly, um, insofar as they've actually have been working to try and to sell the club, and I think I think uh, you know as appropriate we'll have to give those people credit for that um, in due course, because if they've managed to come to a you know come to the table with with Blitz and Brass Bank and work out a deal, you know and, and in the best interest of the football club then that deserves credit. That's, that's a good thing. Um, you know, everything that might have happened before doesn't, doesn't change that fact. So, you know, getting a bit of a heads up, all right. It wasn't a massive heads up, but we, we we got a bit of an advance warning before the, the message went out. And I think whoever it is who, and we genuinely haven't been told, so whatever you're hearing, it is speculation. um, the people who, I know that the people who it is, the, 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 the people who it, who are going to be coming in don't want it to be known. So you might well be spreading, if you're spreading rumours, you might be spreading rumours about people who, and it might be the right people and it might be, that might be potentially damaging. So I think rumours at this stage are inevitable, but, you know, not helpful is what I would say. We're all just going to have to be patient and and wait and see. Um well, other, but, other
1: than we don't know exactly who it is, what, what do we know about, those people but is there any any detail
0: on we know the local yeah um we know that the people that we've been developing relationships with such as Darren and Paul and Simon um believe that they are and 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 Mike as well I think Mike knows that they believe that they're that they are a good fit and everybody around that table cares about latix including shares and there was a genuine buzz around that table and excitement about what's potentially coming and i believe that everybody around that table has this would, would would go into anything like this with the same concerns um as any any other fan and the difference being is that that those people have to actually negotiate and broker a deal like this, where the rest of us just have to comment on it, which is easy. From an OASF point of view, you know, we want to make we're going to want to make sure it's right, and it's not, you know, the podcast now. Well, you know, it's like what what we're we going to talk about, Andy. <laughs> what well, we know we're going to have loads to talk about because we've got the rebuilding of a football club to do together as a as a as a, as a collective, as as a fan base, as fan groups. With a new owner, with a new CEO, um, with a manager that we can all get behind. You know, it's it's exciting, but there's a lot of work to do to get old Athletic back to where it needs to be. And there's no there's no guarantees that we're gonna get back up next season or even the season after. It might take a few years to sort of build a squad and settle, whatever it is. So, and also we need to make sure that we don't fall into the same traps as we've done in the past, which is just oh, everything's fine now. Like Oldham Athletic going forward is going to, have to be a lot different, and fan, in, fan engagement, fan involvement is going to have to be a regular thing. Um, like we've started something now, we need to make sure that we that we carry it on. And the only way we're going to know the, the the new owner's intent with regards to that is is through action now, through conversation, through talking. How easy that relationship is, or how difficult it is, or whatever. So there's a lots of unknowns, um, but what a what a positive day though, in terms of what, where we've come from.
1: Well, it, absolutely incredible. You know, it, it, we've, we've said before to have local business people involved in, we've been talking about having a local based consortium is the type of thing that we've, we've been trying to seek uh, people. I mean, obviously, OSF have been having conversations, you've been having conversations with potential investors. I mean, it's going to be interesting. You're going to need to contact those investors and, and, and see where they fit in now, at all, if if at all. But um, that's what we've been wanting: is to put a, a group of people together who are based in the community, because then they're invested in the people with which uh, are the supporters of the football club. It's very, it's not, it's very easy for, for someone based in Dubai just to not bother. But if you're based in the community, then it's it, you, you're sort of invested by virtue of being there, which I think is important. So we know it's local business people company family it's not a consortium it, it's it's a group of of people together that sounds exciting yeah i mean i am I'm, <laughs> I'm dying to like you know get really excited but then until i know exactly who it is and what their plans are i just need to temper that excitement a wee bit because <clears throat> it'd be great to to sit them down and have a chat to them in a long format conversation for the podcast to understand what, what their objectives and their plans are and all that sort of stuff and then what their motives are. I think those things are really important. Are they Latics fans or are they not? You know all those sorts of questions.
0: And um, we well, hopefully, to- hopefully Andy we'll will we'll get that interview before the sports cast.
1: <laughs> I cannot wait to see that. It'll We've never got- it'll never come about now will it
0: <laughs> we've got we've got some competition so um for the, for the hot exclusive interviews now so we'll have to wait and see but um look like we need that there, there is there is certain chapters in this story in this saga of Oldham Athletic that need crossing off with this you'll be delighted that Mr Blitz is you know finally awesome. releasing his his tenure over the over the land um, Absolutely, he's, you know the things that need it off.
1: He he has strangled and as, asphyxiated us for, for for such a long time since at least 2010, and, it, and it, it's amazing. That I think that was the bit that shocked me the most when I saw the the statement today. I was like, wow, it's everything fucking out. Yeah. <laughs> That's unbelievable.
0: I mean, no, from from we'll
1: from- you know re- release re- release. You know, we'll we'll be able to potentially. I mean, I I shouldn't speculate because I don't know even who it is, what what their objectives are. But if they've got all of that land, then they can develop it themselves for the benefit of the football club. Yeah. Amazing.
0: Yeah. I know. I mean, it is. It's it's potentially brilliant. Um, And look, I maintain that you get what you deserve. And I think with Abdallah... We got what we deserved. I think as fans, we'd become lazy in terms of our expectations, our our work rate. We we we'd just kind of given up a bit. And and he came in and it was easy, and you know, standards had slipped, and we got and I think we got what we deserved in some respects. I'm not saying that that everybody was was like I'm just as a whole. I'm sure there were individuals who were trying really hard to to make things happen and do things differently and all that kind of stuff. But as a collective, and we, what we've learned now is that as a collective, you're far more powerful. You've got far more sway. Um, and I think now as a collective, I think it's really nice that like neither, neither of us were at the match on, on Sunday, the, the Legends v Fans match. But it was a really nice way for all that to sort of come together. I think in terms of the relationship that PTB and OASF have formed, uh, how we've worked together, i mean so many whatsapp messages but it's it's come to it came together beautifully we did it all ourselves every single thing we did it was not not one crossword about it it all just happened as far as i know <laughs> anyway but like you know it, everyone had, had had their job they did it everything everyone met the deadlines working together as a team pulling in all the volunteers all the other things pulling in favours you know people wanting to help from the players to you know, Avro to everybody, and it was just and it, and it was a great. So it's had 1,200 fans, absolutely fantastic. Like what a day! it's raised loads of money. We haven't got the the, the figures out, out at this moment in time, but it's it's been a significant event, and I think it, a, a testament to it to where we've come as a fan base and and, and as fans and and how organised we are now compared to how disorganized we were and what we're capable of it th- this obviously now opens up a whole loads of questions about the fund <laughs> what happens to the money uh, are the new owners open to the idea of, of us investing in the club um or in the stadium in in the way that we were discussing so all these things are going to have to be you know um brought to the table and we'll and we'll find out well it's about having a conversation with um with these people and, and, and making a plan and a strategy that that works for the town and for the club and for the supporters over the next five, 10, 15, 20 years. Um, so we, me and Andy have just been joined by uh, Rebel World Golf. What You've got your Rebel, Rebel Scum t-shirt on there. It looks pretty nice, I must say. Um you still Are you still feeling like a rebel, or uh, has the has the what has the rebel of the rebels won? Well, when you're not a rebel anymore, what do you become? How are you feeling? Well,
2: I think I'll always be a rebel. Yeah, that's a good answer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> In the eyes of the people that are, that have called us rebels, we are rebels, and if being a rebel means that we get this kind of outcome, then I'm all for it.
0: Absolutely. <laughs>
1: We were, just, we were just talking about Sunday we' were just talking about the, the event on Sunday you were there. what was it like what what, what was the event like Obviously we're talking about how it it, it was it ran smoothly everyone was uh, amazing for giving their time up and contributing but what was it like to be at that event?
2: Crazy chaos um, amazing. Um, obviously being a volunteer and someone being someone there like helping out on the day. You know, you going from pillar to post, you know, trying to help the volunteers and trying to, you know, point them in the right direction. And they were they were superb. And, you know, maybe we probably didn't give them in as much direction because we didn't know what to expect a lot of the time. So it's like we, we had some great people helping us out who could think on their feet and deal with things. And then moving on to having everyone turning up on the day um, was brilliant. You know, just seeing a lot, load, well, load of people that we've not seen for ages. Seeing um, just seeing people having a good time and enjoying it, having a laugh. Um, you know, having a bit of banter with the uh, with the with the ex-pros, and it, it was a great day and it was really good. Good setup, um, uh, just good good day all round.
0: And you, I, I was just saying before I, I, I missed it because of COVID, and I mean you've got it now, haven't you? Yeah. <laughs> so you weren't at the meeting this afternoon, and the rest of the lads from PTB were there. Um, I was saying just before you came on about how brilliantly easy it was for us to organise the event at Avro in terms of working together as 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 one big team. No, I didn't. It's not the it doesn't feel like working like the foundation and PTB does. It? it just feels like one big team of people working on trying to achieve something and, and ultimately achieving it so I'll, I'll ask you about that but also obviously the big question is how, how are you feeling about hearing the news that came out today um for, on a personal level from bearing in mind everything that you've that you've been through over the last few years and as with ptv and and all the rest of it
2: i i, I want to get so excited and and shout from the rooftops and everything but until the ink is dry and everything's done and dusted, um, I suppose that's the Oldham fan in me. Um, <laughs> we're very pessimistic. And, and obviously, we, like, we don't know who it is that's coming in. and we, we Hopefully, we'll get a chance to see who does come in and, and work with them. But, you know, the fact that Darren's involved, Darren Royal's involved, and he won't want to do anything that will sully the Royal name with the club, that gives me a bit of confidence. Um so I feel really good, but I don't feel as good as I should because i'm I'm just waiting till that name is no longer anything attached to the club officially yeah no and that and, and that other people associated with with the club and various dealings in the background are gone as well
0: yeah i mean it really is time for a clean slate isn't it i mean any, anybody who thinks that the rebel alliance based on what they've achieved or what we've achieved in in the last couple of years and and, and i do think culminating in in the event on on sunday kind of like everything kind of was brought together nicely because at the end of the day you, know, you and I will have been talking on this podcast now for coming up to two years, and, and and with Andy and we talk a lot about football politics, but not about football. And Sunday was about football, wasn't it? And that's so it was a nice reminder that we're football fans. We want to watch footballers and <laughs> and have heroes and see goals and and like you say, have banter and the crack and be at football matches. That's what we want. Yeah, um, all the other stuff is 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 a necessary evil unfortunately
2: it's stuff that we don't want to do and you say and you say that you know everything that we've done has pushed the boundary and you know the foundation and you know, we've been a minor part the major part has been the fans you know the, the fans have been incredible in supporting us and supporting and and helping us in what we do you know if if the fans didn't agree with what We were doing. They would have let us know, let us know. Um, But you know, I'm not taking credit for anything. You know, the fan base as a whole are are taking the credit for me. Um, We've pulled together as one, and we've we've really shown that you need to do the right thing when you when you're running a football club. And they've done far from the right club, the right thing running the football club. So, fair play to the fans. Um, it's all on you.
0: And, and, and it, it has to carry on, doesn't it? That's the thing now. We, we, I think as a, we, as a fan base, we've come together. I think we know what we want now. and Well, we certainly don't know what we don't want. And we've, we've, we've talked about it a lot on the podcast about where you have to learn your lessons and how you have to apply that knowledge going forward. And now we have, a, hopefully, we've got a perfect opportunity to do that. We don't want to make the same mistakes um, as we have in the past. The football club has to be different now. It's it's entering a new a new chapter. And it's and it's genuinely exciting. And it's been kept so well under wraps because <laughs> there's been a lot of people that we've been trying to get information out of. <laughs> we haven't been able to get it. Um we you know, we wanted to be involved in, as much as we can. And I think what we've done is we've made it uncomfortable for Abdallah and we've made it very, very obvious. That new owners needed to come in, and other people have gone out and and found those owners. And the fans, when when Sheridan came back, showed what this what the potential was for the club. This is a this is a club that is ready to be successful yeah. again. It really and it, is,
2: and it didn't have to be uncomfortable for Abdallah. No, it, it really didn't have to be uncomfortable. You could have listened to people and taken things on board and made made changes and done things the right way but they didn't. So yeah. I I really feel that now is the time to push on. You know, we can now focus our efforts on getting people back through the door and yeah. you know trying our best to get back into the football league. It's not going to be easy with the with the teams that are down here with us, but um you know with the fans behind us as you've seen it's taken a Fans and a lot of money at Stockport, but it shows that doing things the right way can get you back up.
0: But you know, you don't you don't need to have also tons and tons of money to to reach the playoffs. there. You? you need to have a you need to have a good manager that the fans are behind. You need to have a good recruitment. You, you you know you need good crowds, decent enough budget, and 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 there's things that you can that you can do without throwing tons and tons of money at it to to be successful. Like who, Andy? Like Luton Town. Oh, yeah. Luton Town. Are they, town. Inspira- are they our inspiration? It, uh, well,
1: I mean, they dropped into non-league with new owners that allowed them, to, it took them... It took them a while to get out of non-league, but this season, they just missed out in the Championship Playoffs. <laughs> and over that course of time... As you'll hear, I've invested modest sums of money. It's amazing what you can achieve when you've got uh, local people, local that they have a local consortium and the fans behind a club of that type of size: Luton Town, Stockport County, Oldham Athletic. We're all similar, you know, similar-sized clubs in, in yeah, arguably. So, yeah, I think it's, I think it's a brilliant story, you know. Like, and just listening, you know. I'm listening to you guys talk. I take my hat off to everyone within uh, OSF and PTB for putting all the time in. I'd like to take my hat off to the new owners as well and to Darren Royal, anyone who's helped broker that deal. And um, we can listen to a story about the Hatters, can't we?
0: Yeah, I see what you did there. See what you did there. I would
1: like to welcome to this episode of the Boundary Park Alert System podcast. Kevin Harper, who is the, if I get this right, Kevin, you are the media officer of Luton Town Supporters Trust. Correct. Yep. Excellent. How long have you been doing that job for? Six years. So you're the man that your supporters trust wheels out to the media and talk to people like me when we reach out to your trust.
3: Absolutely, yeah. It's been quite a busy year for uh, reaching out to people this year with all the success that we're finally having.
1: Yeah, it's uh, well, we'll come and talk about that because it was amazing to see Luton competing in the playoffs to get into the Premier League. It gives lots of clubs hope that it can be achieved without ridiculous amounts of cash injections because your budget looked quite small in comparison to the teams around you. And so you're punching well above your weight, which is brilliant. I think the best place to start this story, because the the reason we want to talk to you is, You've been through what we're going through. If I just take you back to, I think it was around 2006, 7, 8, that sort of period, you were in the championship and you suffered back-to-back relegations and basically fell out of the football league into, into non-league in, in, a, in a very short period of time which was exacerbated by some rather onerous point penalties that were placed upon you from various organisations. We'll just start with, what was your ownership like at the time? And, and just tell us the background to that sort of terrible story.
3: Well, I mean, initially, when everything was going good, we'd obviously we'd risen from League Two up to the Championship under those owners. Everything seemed to be fine. There didn't seem to be any problems. There was content among the club, you know, and then... All of a sudden, it just hit the buffers. Mike Newell, who was the manager at the time, spoke out about the owners. He'd already been in trouble uh, in the media because of his comments that he made about a female official, and uh, it just spiraled from there. And then, all of a sudden, the FA started looking into exactly what went on. The results on the pitch during the second half of the championship season, that would have been in two thousand and six seven, just fell away completely. That led to relegation. Then, the following season, we had all of the sort of FA looking into us and things like that, and you could tell that. Things were just starting to go in a really bad direction. Mike Newell, by this point, has been forced to leave. Kevin Blackwell's taken over in charge of the team. And the, the owners that were in charge at the time, they were they were doing things supposedly the right way in terms of they were paying wages. They were doing, you you know, they weren't one of these owners that we'd had prior to that who'd completely asset stripped the club. They were still doing things, but they weren't doing it through the official means. They were doing it through sort of holding bank accounts or, 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 or different bank accounts to the main club bank account. And then that all came to a head the following season when the FA had, had investigated into that which led to that 30-point deduction, which you mentioned. 20 of it was for paying the wages and everything else out of different bank accounts. And then, of course, we went into administration, which created another 10-point deduction. And, you know, relegation from League One was guaranteed because that was the year that we went into administration. And then relegation out of the league was an absolute certainty because you can't make up 30 points on 23 other teams. It's just impossible.
1: If I remember rightly, weren't you and Bournemouth both deducted points at the same time? Bournemouth got out of it, didn't they? And you you had a good goal, but didn't quite manage it.
3: Yeah, I think it was ourselves, Bournemouth, and there was another one. I think it was Rotherham. They got 17. Two of them got 17-point deduction. We got 30-point deduction. Like you say, we gave it a good go. We, We tried as hard as we could, but when you think that the club was coming from a sort of viewpoint that the consortium that is now in charge actually took over at the start of that season. They had five contracted players two days before the season started. They had to work out absolute miracles just get a team out for the first game of the season obviously that team was nowhere near strong enough it got stronger as this that sort of transfer window finished and but it it was it was never going to happen but you know they showed the potential of the club with the run in the Johnston paint trophy which is now the Papa John's trophy I think it's called where they won that that season on their way out of the league so there was there was always hope from that and obviously when you're in that situation any like bits of hope is you just cling to it, really.
1: Yeah, it's remarkable that you won the JPT Trophy at finishing bottom of the entire Football League.
3: <laughs> yeah, I don't well, think... we won that on the Sunday and then we got relegated the following Saturday. It was like the ultimate high, right down to the, the, the lowest of lows. It was crazy.
1: Yeah, um, I can imagine. You touched upon their asset stripping from previous owners. Would you maybe, maybe just go back to that particular time and explain what happened there?
3: Yeah, well, one of the reasons why Luton is a target for rogue owners is because there's a part of land just away from the town centre up by the motorway that is uh, is kind of a haven for... Um, you can do an awful lot of stuff there if you can purchase that land. But the land was originally uh, laid out for a new ground for the football club. That's since changed with the football club and the council getting together and changing that and I'm sure we'll come on to that later but basically everyone wanted a piece of Luton Town so they could get their hands on that land yes they'd have to put a stadium on it but then they could put all sorts of decorating things around it and make an awful lot of money that way so rather than care about the football club these people just basically wanted that land so the last of the asset strippers if you like came along in 2003 a guy called John Gurney thankfully for us as fans and it it was his takeover of the club that created the trust back in 2003 thankfully for us fans he tried a similar trick at Bedford Rugby Club not too far up the road from us and they warned us and we kind of knew what to expect so um, everything that we was warned about was the same wages weren't being paid sacked Joe Kearney, who was the manager at the time sacked him by letter I believe didn't even sack him face to face that was not a good idea because he was really really popular Nick Harford who is literally Mr Lou and he was his assistant he also got the sack. And you could kind of tell that things were not in a good place. See, coming out with all these wacky ideas, I mean, if you ever Googled it, it'd be crazy. Uh, Formula One track underneath a football stadium next to the M1, it was like, it was taking like the ultimate film script. And even if you wrote that down, you you just couldn't believe it. So uh, ultimately we all knew that he was up to no good he just basically wanted that land he was—he didn't care about the football club so as fans we got together we formed the trust we had to do something that you'd never want a football club to do and that's ask its fans not to give the football club any money at all whilst this guy was in charge whilst we could work hard to get get rid of him thankfully we got rid of him unfortunately the administrator we had to go into administration to do it the administrators then appointed the next consortium which were the ones that ended up putting us into the 30 point deduction so uh, it was kind of and cheese with that one. But thankfully, you know, you go through the bad times and here come the good times. Well, that's
1: what we're hoping for. I mean, it's really interesting to hear that. I, we are linked here a little bit. In 2003, when you were talking about John Gurney there, we were in also in administration from a previous owner. And the owners that emerged that took us out of administration uh, were called Simon Blitz, Simon Corny and Danny Gazal. And we know through the hours of time that those three individuals also were looking at Luton at the same time. But they ended up choosing us and not you, (laughs) thankfully for you, or maybe not, depending on how you look at it, (laughs) because we've ended up in in the mess we're in today, partly because of a a procession of uh, events that happened from that point in time. Our owners at that time also looked at Hull as well as Luton, but I don't think there was the the land opportunities with Boothroyd Park and Hull that there was at Boundary Park with Oldham because they've redeveloped some of our um, land into houses, and there was a whole plan around that, which sounds like the same thing that Mr Gurney was up to with you. So there's always a link. Just out of interest, how did you when you say you got rid of Mr Gurney? through I guess force into administration what did you do to go into administration did, did you guys force the club into administration or did you get credit how did you do it
3: we did yeah the guy who sold to John Gurney bless his heart he was he was a Luton fan he was a good guy ultimately he's an old guy at that time sort of 20 years ago running a league one league two football club cost an arm and a leg and his wife basically said look We've built up this great savings for ourselves. You know, we should enjoy retirement, et cetera, et cetera. Stop spending it on a football club and he reluctantly agreed and sold the club to John Gurney for a pound. Just wanted to get rid of it. So uh, that was fine. But what he managed to do was he never let go of the land that he had. Obviously, the land was what everyone wanted. So the trust had a meeting with Mr. Chalice, who was the previous owner, and said, look, they all want this land. Can you please let us have the land? And uh, we'll give you a fee for it down the line, but can we use that as leverage to get rid of this guy? Obviously, you've sold to the wrong person. We can't go back on that. You've done a deal, et cetera, et cetera. But please help us out of the mess. Still a Luton fan. You still want the club to do well. And he, and he agreed to it. So we got hold of that land. So that meant that he, the Kearney couldn't get hold of that, which meant that then he basically froze absolutely everything. And he just, you know, he went on a bit of a hissy fit for the want of a better word. You know, it didn't stop there. We asked all Luton fans to pledge to buy their season ticket, but not actually do it. Uh, we withheld all of the money from the club, which forced the club into administration. And then thankfully he went and we moved on.
2: Brilliant.
1: I mean, it's a really, really interesting story. So <laughs> the way you did it is you secured the hard assets so that, a rogue owner couldn't get their hands on it. And then you boycotted spending money with the rogue owner and at the same time pledged money to save your club. I cannot tell you (laughs) how important that message is for us right now because we are in a very, very similar situation. So it's really good to hear. Amazing. So let's wind forward again. So you've got these owners who were trying to do the right thing, but we're doing it in a financial irregular way. You ended up with a points deductions and you were consigned to relegation to non-league. What happened to these owners? You went into administration again. So presumably they were they were removed by that administration process. And you talked about a consortium, which I think was headed by Nick Owen, the daytime TV presenter, who is China. a Luton fan. Yeah. Yep. They took over, as you described, as you were heading out of the Football League. Talk to us a bit about how that consortium came together.
3: OK, well, it's, it's, an, it's an interesting situation because the owners that were trying to do the right thing but doing it in the wrong way, there was three of them. So there was Bill Tomlins, there was John Mitchell, David Pinkney, and it's David Pinkney who wanted to buy the club. And so he put us into administration in order to get rid of all of its creditors, basically, and bring the club out relatively debt-free. Fortunately for us... The current consortium that's in place have kind of got wind of what was going on and formed her own consortium to go up against him. And thankfully, the administrator sort of took that over. So basically what it was, was the guy who's in charge now, the chief executive, Gary Sweet, he was actually the guy who formed the Supporters Trust back in 2003 when um, John Gurney was trying to do his worst. And he's always someone who's, you know, taken an interest in that side of things. And he thankfully, he's, he's kind of like a sniffer dog, really. He can smell out, you know, trouble a mile away sort of thing. So uh, that was handy. And I think how it all caught kind of came about with us putting the club into administration and then obviously as it turned out getting the wrong owners to then take it out of administration the first time it didn't really sit well with him so uh, he formed a consortium of local businessmen and come up with a kind of a share idea that no one is a, a major shareholder so they've got their own sort of thing which we will cover it later I'm sure but it needed a figurehead you know if you're going to go up against people who are already in the club you really need to get as much interest in that consortium as possible so Nick Owen came on board he's a Luton fan for ever and a day and I know Nick fairly well he's been going to Luton games since the sort of 50s and 60s and he was only too pleased to help yeah, never, you know, it wasn't in the, as a sort of director in terms of a financial viewpoint, but as a, as a figurehead to get the the public profile of this consortium raised. Uh, that, that that was his job, really. And thankfully, it was their consortium that the administrator accepted the bid from, and they they took over. The, the bid was accepted early January in two thousand and eight, and luckily. They provided the funds to get us through to the end of that season. And they took over in full May 2008. And then we got hit with the 30-point deduction in June 2008. And the big bugbear for all Luton fans, and and Luton fans haven't forgotten this, point deduction, is that the people who were doing all of the issues largely got away scot-free. I think one got banned for football for five years and a couple of them got fined sort of 5, 10, 15, 20 grand, something like that. But the ones who took over who had done nothing wrong were the ones that caught all the trouble. They had to make it up themselves, really. So we believe that the wrong people got punished and ultimately, as fans and as a football club, we paid the price for it.
1: You then spent five years in non-league demonstrating... Just how difficult it is to get out of that division, particularly you know you 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 were going down with what was a relatively competitive squad. You won the JPT trophy. It was only the points penalty that that sent you down, and then you took you five years to get back. So you weren't it. Weren't like you had good owners, a good consortium of owners going into non-league. We're going into non-league with the same idiots that have sent us there. So we're we're a long way further behind you were, and it took you five years to get out of it. Before we come on to your experiences in the non-league, which would be pertinent and relevant to us, this consortium that won through in the end, which are still in charge of Luton today?
3: They are, yeah. Luton 2020, they call themselves. They came with a name to get Luton in the championship for 2020 and being the fantastic owners they are. They got there two years prior to where they said they would. But no, they are still in charge today. And a lot of the people who invested back in 2008 are still involved in the club as well.
1: So, how, so how many people make up that consortium then, Kevin?
3: I think it's six now in terms of financial director viewpoint. And then there's a couple of sort of associate directors from the past that they use to sort of manage football decisions, really. You know, this ultimately is a group of businessmen don't have much in the way of football sort of background. So they use a couple of people that do have a bit more of a football background to help them with footballing decisions. And they run the club as a business. They run the club as a, it's hard to run the club as a profitable business, but it's certainly losing a lot less than it was when they took over and in time. They'll make money once we move to the new stadium, which thankfully is on the horizon and isn't going anywhere near that land that everyone wanted it to go <laughs> to when they try to um, buy that land. But, you know, probably six financial ones. And thankfully, one of the shareholders is us, Luton Town Supporters Trust, which is massively important. And that is something that I am massively passionate about myself.
1: Well, I'd like to come back to that shortly because, well, let's talk about your your trust. Um, so we can learn a bit from that. So, the, so these six benefactors have they put millions in each?
3: Yeah, I'm not sure of the exact amounts because you know the shareholding. The way that it's done is no one can have more than fifty percent shares in the club. But what they do is they can increase like the number of shares that form the hundred percent, so to speak, so that no one can ever um, own more than fifty percent. Yes, they've put an awful lot of money in. I would wager somewhere along the lines of ten million pounds over over that time. That's to buy the club initially to sort out all of its debts and now to fund the club. I reckon roughly right now in the championship we'll lose, I think the last set of accounts before COVID, because it's probably not right to use the COVID accounts. I think the last set of accounts had the club losing something like 350 grand, which compared to when they took over, they were losing 2 million a year is a huge uh, improvement.
1: Yeah, I think that's an important message is is actually 10 million pounds over the course of 14 years you know whatever it is that they've been in charge as a consortium is pretty pretty good (laughs) considering uh, considering the, the scale of losses of some teams especially up to the championship like the likes of Derby or Birmingham that are just losing tens of millions a season seemingly yeah I think, that, I think that's uh, pretty impressive so, and so all these people local business people all from the
3: Bedfordshire area the, the ones that were um, originally are a couple of more have come on board from the wider areas as we've gone through the leagues because you know basically we have to keep on funding things and, obvi- and obviously you know people want to get involved in something that's more successful than they do when, when it's not successful so yeah. I guess that's only natural I think the biggest named one of them is Rob Stringer the guy who is managing director I think of Sony Records certainly high up it's only anyway and he's a massive Luton fan he's regularly been involved in the in the consortium and then apart from that yeah local businessman just you know our chairman retired now he's a local businessman one or two others kind of local as well and then as I say a couple that have come on board as the ride's gone on
1: well let's um let's let's come back to the ride in a minute talk to us about non-league what are we in for
3: It it all depends on how you embrace it. And and thankfully, I can speak from experience because we went down. We shouldn't be here. We'll be back up in a season. Absolutely no bother. Unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. You have to go there. You have to embrace non-league. I think it's a different division now. I think when we went there, it was it really was non-league. Now it's kind of a professional fifth league, isn't it? And, um, you know, it has its own TV coverage, it, TV deals. You know, there's more finance in the league, which there wasn't when we were there. And I think one of the reasons why it took us five years to get out, if we say the first two years, the new consortium were clearing out the mess from past. So you could kind of wipe them two seasons off largely. So let's say it took us three years of, of proper management to get out of the division. You have to embrace it. You have to you have to be a club at that level. If you go down there thinking, you know, you're Billy Big Boys, you'll get found out very, very quickly. We did it. We turned up to places like Hyde. Braintree with the greatest respect to these places because when you go there they're fantastic communities you can tell that the clubs are entwined in their communities and everything that football should be but when you've dined at the tables of stoke and hull and these kind of places for the want of better teams to then go there so quickly you know it it was it's kind of like going from caviar to sort of scraps really and we didn't embrace that but if you do embrace that and you embrace it for everything that it is it can be an enjoyable experience. It's not a nice experience. No one wants to be out of the Football League, particularly clubs like ourselves who were, you know, we were founder members of the Premier League, but got relegated out of it. Obviously, yourselves, you've been in the Premier League. We were both Cups semi-finalists in 94, weren't we? And, um, yeah. you know, it, it's not the place where our clubs should be. But if you embrace it and take on the challenge for what it is, it, it's it's not as soul-destroying as, as you think it might be.
1: Well, I mean, uh, it's, a, it's a good message. I guess that's what we've got to, <laughs> got to come around to. It's going to take a bit of adjusting. I mean, Hyde, Hyde United, in Great Manchester have played there, <laughs> you know. So, yeah, we will be going to places like, you know, Wheelstone?
3: Yeah, yeah. So, and uh, I think Dorking lost in the playoff final, playoff semi-final, or something like that, didn't they? Or maybe even made the final. I can't.
1: Yeah, Dorking are in there. So it's going to be, it's going to be uh, some adjusting. So yeah, in, in that, in that five-year period, are you actually finished? second third fifth seventh and first you were never actually out of the top 7 what what is now the the regular sort of playoff places if you like in in that division you competed quite well every season you just you just never quite made it a couple of times did you so if your consulting was sorting out the mess they were still keeping you very competitive on the pitch in that league
3: yeah they were I mean like you say we got relegated with a competitive squad so that kind of helped in the first season probably at the end of the first season all of the kind of high earnings or the, the earnings that came in to try and save us in that minus 30 season that we could no longer afford they went and then like I say from seasons 3, 4 and 5 we were, a, we were a conference team really trying to build our way back up but I mean obviously we had a budget in that division even allowing for the fact that we'd gone through all the mess that we'd gone through we still managed to maintain Crowds of seven, eight, nine thousand per season. The one thing that I should have mentioned previously: stay together in the conference. Make sure your fan base stays together. It's it's a massively important thing in that league because you don't get as much funding as you do in the football league. So your supporters really, 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 really will need to stand up and be counted. We managed to keep all those crowds, so our budget was pretty high. So we we're always competitive. And actually, if we had the playoff system that's in place now, I think we'd have got out a little bit earlier. We had the playoff system that's in place in the league. and I mean, it was just a nightmare, really. <laughs> really you know, you, when when you go away to these places and, it, and it's difficult to go away to York's and Wrexham's and these places at the best of times, let alone in the playoffs. And we just come unstuck, really. But thankfully, year five, we managed to get out.
1: Yeah, I think it's a good message about sticking together. And and um, in circumstances when you have a consortium like you had, it is absolutely the thing to do. The challenge we've got is we've still got our terrible owners going into our first season out of the league for 100 and odd years. And so we're in the phase of boycotting and bleeding them dry to get them out before we all come back together again to try to you know, relaunch a, a, an attack at getting back in, in the football league, hopefully with new owners, maybe a consortia-based ownership, which is part of the reason why I wanted to talk to you, to, to hear about how that worked for you. I mean, you've talked about they've invested maybe $10 million over the course of 14 years, which is modest in terms of investment. It's obviously significant. And I'm not downplaying it, but it's modest. So you got lucky in the one year in the, in the conference. You won it, didn't you? You came up automatically. Yeah. And then ever since then, you know, you've done nothing but continue to get better. spent You spent a couple of years in League Two. And then I think you went up the year we came down to League Two. So we swapped and then you rocketed straight through to the championship. So what is it that the consortium have done well since you've returned to the Football League?
3: Run the club like a business, so that's the first the first thing. You know, they do not outspend what they bring in. You know, they, football needs a wage cap, but we have our own wage cap. Obviously, that's increased as we've gone through the league. But when we got into the championship, nobody at Luton had more than six grand a week. If you compare that to Alexander Mitrovic, who people are talking is on one hundred and fifty grand a week, so twenty five Luton players could have earned his wage. You know, that's the kind of levels that we're up against. But we don't mind that because we've been in these situations where. We've outspent our means and now we're doing it the right way. And the thing that this consortium have done that no one else has done, everyone's involved from the tea lady right through to the manager, from the supporters, everyone. There's a collective feel, a feeling that everyone's kind of involved in the situation. An example would be when we fell out of the Football League, your academy doesn't get no funding. Your academy only gets funded during the Football League. Well, Luton's Academy is basically the byproduct which runs our football club. You know, we rely so much on bringing our own players through, hopefully for the first team, but if not selling them for a huge profit, perfect example would be James Justin who's just been called up to the England squad he came through our, um, our academy but there was no funding so the uh, the fans in line with the club they offered to fund the academy they formed a new group supporters of Luton Town Youth Development and they basically whilst we're in non-league they funded the academy so the club therefore were able to focus all of their efforts on the first team and still have the production line coming through and ever since then there's been a feeling from the top through to the fans that you are part of this journey with us and we always feel that ticket prices are not extortionate at Luton Town Football Club you get a season ticket in the championship at Kenilworth Road for 400 quid which in today's world it's less than £20 a game it is fantastic ticket pricing if you have a problem, they'll listen to it. They'll give you an answer to it. You might not like the answer, but they'll give you an answer. There's transparency there. Everyone feels that they're they're a part of the club. And and thankfully, through the supporters trust with our shareholding, if you're a member of the supporters trust, you are in effect semi-shareholder in the football club. And you, you just feel that you are valued and important. And, and I guess that's where Oldham aren't at. But there's no reason why you can't get to that going down the methods that we did. But You just have to appreciate that it's not an overnight fix. If you're prepared to stick it out, do it in the long haul, plan long term, viably, it can be done. We're showing that it can be done.
1: Absolutely. I think having watched Luton with envy, but also, you know, respect this season, watching what you've done uh, is, well, it's given me heart that it can be done with a club of a similar size. You know, we're, we're not too far apart in terms of scale and history and all that sort of stuff. So if you can do it, we could do it. What you've talked about there is in order to be successful, you have really invested in you. Obviously, you've recruited better, you've scouted better, you've got a production line that's better. So you've got players coming through that have made sure that your top six, competitive team in the championship but you're not spending vast amounts of money on transfer fees or wages so is it primarily youth development and scouting that's done it?
3: Yeah youth development's really really important it's always been important as I say going right the way back through to our glory days in the 80s that team that let's say the team that won the Little Woods Cup in 88 so many of that came through the Luton youth system that team or you know with free transfers and things like that it's kind of, it's, in, it's ingrained in our club. The owners that put us in trouble, they were just happy to get the chequebook account, spend, spend, spend. But these owners, they know football. They know, you know, the people, the football people that, that are helping them. They know that you have to do it the right way through bringing your own players through. And I think in football, recruitment's massively important. And there are people out there that you can sign who don't cost the end of the world. And if you look lower down the leagues, you can find hungry players. And that was one of the successes that we did in the conference. I mean, when we won the conference, Andre Gray was our striker. Now, obviously, yes. if you only know Andre Gray from now, you, then you'll look at him as a Premier League player and think, what the hell was he doing in the conference sort of thing. But actually, we signed him from Conference North Club, Inkley. Just by luck, we drew him in the FA Trophy and he played against us and clearly he had an absolute blinder and we were like, wow, you need to come and play for us. And, and he did. A lot of our successes that we look through the lower leagues to find young and hungry players that if we are going to sign from outside and not, and not develop, Our own players, they're the mantras, young and hungry, the ones that want to be somewhere, that want to achieve, rather than the other way that we did it back in the day. The players that have already achieved don't really want to achieve anymore and just want the money... I mean, if you look at the current squad and you say that you watched us this season, our, probably our figurehead of the current squad is Elijah Adebayo, yeah. who played in League Two last season. Not the season, just, well, I suppose it has just finished, hasn't it? Season before he was playing in League Two. Now he's spearheading a top six side in the championship. And there are those players out there that, you know, when, when we're lucky enough that we have the right recruitment people.
1: I was just about he to say, who, who's, in cha- who's in charge of scouting and recruitment at Luton then? Mick he's
3: Mick eye for Hufford. Player, yeah, his eye for a player is absolutely superb. You would think that his eye for a player would you'd just be limited to strikers, but that's not the case. He he really knows the game. He's one of the most astute minds in the game. But actually, what we've embraced the further that we've gone through the leagues is we've taken on a data sort of path. We now have a recruitment team of analytics. of uh, They go deep into the numbers of, Of what Nathan Jones wants and then they'll find out the signings no signings ever done without Nathan Jones talking to the player and believing in the player and there's a real strong thing at the club that they'll only sign good characters character is more important than ability they believe they can coach the ability but they can't they obviously can't coach the character and you have to have the kind of the right character to want to play for Luton you're not going to get paid what players that you're up against are going to get paid you're just not but what you can do is you can feel part of a family that values you, that will improve you as a player. And we've seen from the likes of James Justin and going right further back, the Curtis Davies, the Matthew Upsons of the world, Luton do sell to top clubs. So you can, you can play for Luton and you can end up playing in the Premier League. You know, I could almost build a fantasy 11 now for Premier League players that have come through at Luton. And that's just a sign that, you know, if, if you're willing to appreciate what the club are, who we are, work hard for us, you have to work hard for us. What we lose in budget, we make up for in hard work. You will go places, whether that's with us or beyond us.
1: So it's amazing, really. You, you, you just described, I'm listening to you, you know, I'm, sh- I'm nodding my head, you, you- you're just describing Luton Town in the 80s and 90s and Oldham Athletic in the 80s and 90s we, we were we were similar like you said We it could Luton Oldham could have been the 1994 FA Cup final <laughs> with a bit of luck with a bit of luck gone the other way you won the league cup and got to the final of it again we got to the final of it in the 1990s so we, we were very very similar both in the you know the founding time of the Premier League and yeah, uh, that's what Oldham could achieve. You're doing it now. You've got the right structure in place. You're not spending a lot of money. You've got a consortium a of business, uh, local business people together. You're united as a fan base. I mean, this message is is loud and clear. We've just got to get rid of our owners and we can start that process again. It's really interesting to hear. If I could ask you a couple more bits. So, looking at your trust, I was having a look at the number of directors you've got. Thirteen directors on your board. If I'm if I'm right. Yeah. When we interview trusts from other clubs, I can almost, without exception, say that there's between 12 and 15 on every yeah. trust, yeah. <laughs> every effective trust. Our trust, which was also formed around 2003 for the reasons we described earlier, have been had as low as three or four directors on it and currently run it in about eight or nine, I think, including co-opted. So we need more people, I think. Just talk to us a bit about how does your trust work? What's your experience in terms of the right balance and mix of people? What sort of skill sets do you think you need on an effective trust?
3: I think that's the important thing uh, and I think that's why we run at 13 I think we can have a maximum of 15 so we can still co-opt two more should we need to but I think everything's running okay I, I think you need you need a little bit of everything really as a sports trust I mean the main thing that you need to have as a supporters trust is dialogue with the owners of the football club now obviously if the owners aren't good then those conversations are going to be difficult and and that's fair enough but let let's say in a year, well, hopefully it's not going to be a year, but as soon as these current older athletic owners go and the new ones come in straight away and get that relationship going because that is the key relationship the club. the trust if the club doesn't trust the trust so to speak Mm -hmm. then it's not going to work with it and if it does if if the club doesn't work with the trust then as a trust you're always kind of you're in that situation where you're going to supporters and you're giving out negative messages whereas you know if you're working alongside the club you then your members can feel part of your football club and and that immediately strengthens your trust and then from there things like a shareholding like we have we also What, what share have you got kevin We've only got 1% share, but we've only got a 1% share because that 1% can be the difference. Like I said earlier, no one can have more than 50% of the shares of the football club. So if two or three people combine for 50% and they need an overriding vote, then it will come down to us for our 1% so we can have a say on what's needed we can increase that shareholding if if we want to the option is there to do that but that we've found since these owners have come in and given us that shareholding we didn't have to ask for it or anything like that they gave us that shareholding as a fan representative on uh, in the club we used to have a fan representative on the board that's not the case now we have a shareholding which is much better once you get that we've also got the image rights to our club which is another massive thing for the trust the club cannot change its badge it's club colours its mascot the football ground so many things without our approval so that's also a massive thing and that's another sign that fans look at that they're a part of their club if you know if the club comes to us we want to change the colour of the away kit this season our members will have to approve it if they don't approve it it doesn't happen it's, it's as simple as that so uh, i think the, the relationship with the trust sorry with the club is is the fundamental for a successful trust, if you if you can't maintain a relationship, then, you know, you're always going to be or you could be seen from the outside world as the bad guys, when in reality, you're the good guys. But it's so hard to get that message across because people just have that emotional affinity to their football club, don't they? So thankfully, we've got that. I think you also need to have a kind of strategy in place you know long-term short-term goals that are in place maybe something as simple as how many members you have what um, how many
1: got. members have you guys got we are
3: at 1500 at the moment just teetering on and around 1500 our membership year is is actually starts on uh, on Wednesday so uh, we're going to get a load more renewals coming in I always think if you can get 10% of your club capacity that's a good fan base because a lot of supporters they kind of blasé situations aren't they it's only really when the message the fan that people really really kind of appreciate it so a really successful trust as badly as this sounds is going to be the ones that are in all sorts of trouble because they're the time where supporters call upon those trusts so if you can be at sort of 10-15% of your capacity in the good times then I think you're running pretty well really and and thankfully we're at that We've got strategies in place to to improve that. We've got a new membership team and, you know, they're, they're improving that all the time. And obviously we've touched wood, got a new ground on the horizon, which hopefully well, the Trust is going to be involved in.
1: So talk to us about your new stadium then. So you talked about this piece of land that everyone was after. (laughs) is not being used. Do you still
3: own the land? No, we owned the land until September last year, I think it was. What the new consortium have done is they formed a relationship with the Luton Council. So Luton Council have always set this land up, Junction 10, it's called, Junction 10 by the motorway. They've always set this land out for a new ground, but Luton don't want a new ground on the outskirts of town. It's not what Luton are about. Luton's an industrial town, a hard working town, a town where its community is massively important. And that is one thing that the 2020 consortium, they've always done fantastic work in the community. So they want a town centre stadium. So they've found this land right smack bang in the middle of the town centre, just by Luton Town train station. It's called Power They've purchased this land and they've gone to the council and they've said, look, A town centre stadium, much like Newcastle, they use Newcastle as the background. We want it right smack bang. It will have so much benefit to Luton's economy. It will have even more benefit to Luton as a football club. And, you know, town centre stadiums, the whole community can feel part of it. Whereas if you put a stadium out on Junction 10, it's going to be a bit of an eyesore. It's going to cause so much more traffic out there. No one really is going to feel part of it. You know, it's, it's just going to be a, one of these soulless bowls that you go to so many of them around the country. Basically, we don't want it. So they've brought this land at Powercourt. They they had the land still from an original transaction back in two thousand and three that they then purchased properly when the twenty twenty consortium took over. And the idea was that there was going to be a develop. There was still going to be a development up at Junction Ten, of which would be retail, leisure, that sort of thing, industri- industry, and the the profits from that would then pay for Powercourt. Then the pandemics died, so those plans had to kind of go on the back burner. And property owners have they came to the club and they said, "Look, here's a load of money. Can we have this land?" And so the club has said, "Yes." taken the money on the provision that that development does still go ahead but then what you do around that you, you know and all the profits and stuff is yours so the money from that sale now up at junction 10 is now going to fund our new grant in power court right smack bang in the town center which hopefully talking to those at the club believe it's going to be if everything goes to plan and of course a lot of that will be determined by what mr putin does over the coming months uh, if everything goes to plan three years will be on our new stadium
1: yeah. It's interesting you mentioned, uh, Mr. Putin, putting pressure on financial markets because we just interviewed uh, some people that are that have been trying to secure Boundary Park as a site and that financial channels from around the world have been affected by, by the war in Ukraine. So it's interesting that you raise it as well. But I think that's brilliant. I, I'm, you're absolutely right. We all love a town centre ground, don't we? When we go away if you can stay in a town centre and the economy in the town centre gets gets the feel of it, it's not just in some soulless bowl in the middle of nowhere. You've got to walk miles away from the train station to some industrial estate nowhere where there's no pubs, there's no restaurants, Nothing.
3: <laughs> It's a nightmare. I just out of interest, how big would your new stadium be? Well, when they originally did the planning, they got the outline planning approval probably. What would it be? Twenty seventeen. We were a League Two club then, and we were pretty happy being a League Two club. So, seventeen and a half thousand was the uh, the projection for the capacity. Obviously, since then, we're now a Championship club, and it could well be that in three years' time, touchwood were a Premier League club when this ground is actually built. So now they've got it to 23,000 with the provision that it can go up to 28,000. So the the final plans are going through the council planning department at the moment. That Johnston Paint Trophy final in 2009, where we took 40,000 fans to Wembley, suggests they might need to improve it quicker than maybe they were expecting when the plans first went in. Well, I
1: think what's amazing is your owners have done this with structure, infrastructure, good recruitment and modest levels of investment in comparison to most. And so the story in there is just, you know, amazing. And how do you feel having been beaten by Huddersfield in the playoffs? What was that like?
3: <laughs> I feel a lot better than I did if you'd spoken to me this time last week, that is for sure. No, I mean, <laughs> all season long, there was always the potential that we would make it into the top six. But then in the back of your mind, you're like, this is Luton. Three years ago, we were in League One. Five years ago, we were in League Two. Eight years ago, we were in the conference. We shouldn't be knocking on the door of the Premier League, like you say, without overspending our means or anything like that. But we did. We got in the top six. And then you kind of went in the playoffs and you're like, bloody hell, it'd be great to go into the Premier League. But the best thing about the playoffs and the thing that we didn't have in the conference playoffs that you mentioned that we kept on losing in was the feeling in the back of your mind that if we do lose, and no one wanted to lose, but if we do lose, we're in a position to come again next season. Whereas in the conference, you just didn't know because there was no funding, there was no financial certainty. Whereas now... Yeah, we've lost in the playoffs. And I think immediately afterwards, I don't know who it was, but I heard a press conference afterwards and someone asked Nathan Jones, how do you make sure you don't do a Barnsley? And he said, we don't do a Barnsley because we don't plan for one season at this football club. We plan for two to three seasons with an outlook on five seasons. So we know where we want to be here, here, here and here. And as I mentioned earlier, they got to the championship two years earlier than they expected to. So in in essence, Everything that's going on is a bonus because they don't, in their forecasted plans and budgets and everything, they don't actually see themselves as a Premier League club for another two years ahead of that first season in the Premier League being the first season in the new ground. So they're kind of knocking on doors that they didn't expect to be knocking on. So I think from that point of view, everyone's really, really excited. Yes, it's a disappointment that we're not going to Wembley on day. Absolutely it is. But our club's in a fantastic position and you just kind of get the feeling that we are going to get to where we want to be, whether it's next season, whether it's the season after, or even if they miss their own sort of calculations by a season or two. From where we've been just eight years ago to where we are now is absolutely fantastic. And yeah, it, it, it will come. I'm sure it will.
1: Listen, Kevin, thank you so much for talking to us. It's been incredibly enlightening, heartwarming and uh, educational at the same time. The very best to you.
3: You're very welcome. All the best, both in the conference next season and getting rid of the owners. Really, really looking forward to seeing Oldham come back to where they should be much in the same way that we've done.